Fishing Stories is brought to you by Rep Your Water. For those of you who don't know, we are the co-founders of Rep Your Water, a design-driven apparel company dedicated to providing high-quality gear for anglers everywhere. My current favorite piece in the line is our Retro Camo Merino Blend Sun Hoodie. It breathes incredibly well, blocks the sun on hot days, and is also a perfect base layer. And you drew the camo pattern yourself, which makes it even more unique. Ah, that's right. (laughs) I'm always going to pick our Merino socks as my favorite. We have a nice variety of options for styles, and they are excellent for all seasons. Check out the full collection at www.repyourwater.com. I'm Garrison Doctor. And I'm Corinne Doctor. And this is Fishing Stories. And today we are joined by my favorite Hillary Hutchison. That's right. Pretty exciting to talk to Hillary. She has so many stories to tell. I don't think we gave her a long enough venue. So stay tuned for another episode in the future with Hillary. Exactly. In the meantime, let's hear a couple of tales from Hillary. Cheers. Hillary, hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. So good to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's only been like a year in the making of getting our schedules aligned for this. Some people's schedules are busier than others. I'm not going to name names. No, listen, I feel like whenever I said, okay, hey, I'm available. And then you out of spite would be like, oh, cool. We're not. (laughs) All right. That's fair enough. I mean, it's true. Like winter for all of us is kind of like buckle down and get things done that you didn't do during the fishing season. And one of those many things for all of us is traveling. So Yeah. I mean, we always feel like, oh, January, February is going to be like such nice downtime and we can catch up on everything. And then (laughs) it never ends up that way. No. Also, you don't, I don't want to catch up on stuff. Like I really do appreciate the whole concept of that's when, you know, the the winter is kind of like the, the dormant time when you rest and recharge and do all that kind of stuff. But I'll lay there like, I'm resting, I'm resting, I'm resting. This ain't working out for me. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I don't we we share that, Gene. I don't do great with just like sitting still for very long. It's not in my DNA. I like doing something. Yeah. For sure. and positive, is, we are here now. So yes. yeah. we're very grateful to you to make the time. And just really quickly, we'll get into obviously more of what makes you tick, but tell the people who you are, though I think they're kind of, been under a rock if they don't know who you are by now. So I'm a fishing guide up in Northwest Montana. I'm guiding on the middle fork of the Flathead and the North Fork of the Flathead in the Flathead River system, which is the middle fork's the southern boundary of Glacier National Park and the North Fork is the western boundary of Glacier National Park. And then my fly shop is just about at the confluence where those two join up with the South Fork to make the main stem uh, in Columbia Falls, Montana. Larry's flying supply for those of you who have yes, been there. Larry's. It's short for Hillary, which is just silly. It's just dumb. People are like <laughs> a lot of times people just tell me that. They're, it's hi Larry. It's Larry's is short for Hillary. And they're like, that's really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. One of my favorite stories that you told me in person once was that somebody walked in saying that Larry told them that they would get a discount or whatever. Right. You're like, no. Yeah, no, that's classic. I mean, like, that really is one of the reasons for naming it that I was just waiting for that moment for somebody to be like, well, old Larry gives me a discount. And those were his exact words as old Larry gives me a discount. And so now, like, um, if you ever see in social media, it says like, 
we make a post that says old Larry says hi, you know, that's, that's because of that guy back then was like, well, old Larry gives me a discount. And I was like, um, I bet not, at least not anymore, bud. <laughs> well, therein lies the genius of the name. Exactly. Well, funny. The short, I will tell you the real story of it. And it's just the short story of how the fly shop got its name is this town. Columbia Falls is the town I grew up in. And so I went through all my years of school since preschool here um, through high school. And so like you really get to know all of the people who live and work here. And there's this um, diner in town. And um, kind of if you go in there in the morning, you'll see all of the people just shooting the shit about everything and everybody kind of knows each other. And so if I would walk in there, they'd be like, hey, I see somebody's about ready to break your sister's triple jump record, you know, back from like 94, <laughs> whatever, you know, and so like, they remember all this kind of stuff. And when I was in high school, um, a lot of, you know, there's some big families with cousins and stuff in this town. So uh, we put our first name on the back of our jerseys and sports instead of our last name. And, um, and so they put Hillary on the back of my jersey, but they spelled Hillary with two L's and it's supposed to be p spelled with one L. So yeah. I peeled off the first L. So it said, hi, Larry. And so when I ran out on the court, they would all yell, hi, Larry, because they thought it was so funny, whatever. So that's where that Larry is actually from. And um, so it, the reason it's kind of fun is because there are still some of those same old guys who would watch sports 30 years ago, way back then in the 90s when I went to high school year, um, who will come into my fly shop and go, hi, Larry, because <laughs> they think it's so funny because they remember when I was in sports and I would run on the court and they'd all yell that. And of course I was so shitty at sports that like, that was all I had going for me. I'd run out on the court and like put my hands in the air. Like, yeah. Hi Larry. I love it. I mean, I am juvenile in many ways and definitely in terms of my humor. So I would have been that guy that really enjoyed the hi Larry joke every yeah. time. So like, I'm totally in on that. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I actually probably will. Well, that's well, fun. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the uh, validation there because like any branding expert would be like, yeah, that's the worst name ever, but it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter. You get to do what you want to do. <laughs> that's right. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the water that you guide on, it's just native cutthroat and whitefish, right? Uh, it, you mean, I mean, we should really should say whitefish first because they really are like the they're the, right? yeah, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so it's native West Slope cutthroat trout and native bull trout. Bull trout um, in in this system, the North Fork and the Middle Fork, we don't target. You're not allowed to target them. Um, <clears throat> you can target them on the South Fork with a, a catch card during a special season, but I don't guide those um, on the South Fork just because I'm working in the Middle Fork and the North Fork. Um, yeah. Then it's yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, primary fishery is native West Slope cutthroat. And fair amount of whitefish out there too. Yeah. Mountain whitefish. Oh yeah. <laughs> I do love a whitefish though. Sometimes like when things aren't going your way and you just need to feel a tug, mm -hmm. like the whitefish has your back. I like the first six whitefish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like entertained. I'm like, oh good. I got something on the other end. This is great. And then after six, I'm like, all right, that's yeah. about enough of the wiggles. Like where are the trout? Like let's no, get out real. of it. It's here, the whitefish are a day saver, but a fly wrecker. They do eat dries here 
too. So it's super fun because it's for your people. Like they're psyched and they did the thing. They got a fish to eat. Um, but if it's like a caddis, it's just hackle free at the end of that. They just mash it all up, of course. But I, I've been into like the, um, we have a run of Lake Superior whitefish in the fall um, that have delicious roe. And so I've been making some really good whitefish sushi roe. So like um, you put like the roe on sushi rice. Usually I'll just like um, put it in a brine for three days and then put it on sushi rice. It's super good. That sounds amazing. We've done some just like, you know, put a bunch of them in the cooler and smoked them up and made some good like dips and stuff. But I don't think we've ever messed with the with the roe. But we also don't have the fancy Lake Superior ones down. Yeah. I mean, it makes the juice worth the squeeze because they're big and fat and definitely good meat on the smoker in the fall. And it's kind of a traditional thing here. The locals come out for this little Lake Superior run and and it's really healthy and, and sustainable. And so it's kind of a super local fun thing in my town. That's, That's awesome. cool. Um, well, also an important part of your bio and one of the ways that we get to connect is that you're on the AFTA board, the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. You serve on like a million boards, I feel. <laughs> There's a pendulum that's swinging all the time in our lives. I think that, you know, I've I've turned down lots of board positions over lots of years just because it didn't make sense at the right time. Like when my kids were, you know, still in school and around and now they're all grown up and gone and everything. And so like it kind of was a time to be able to serve in a different way. And so, yeah, so I'm on a fair amount of boards now. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to, I think you're going to be the one to solve the climate crisis for all of us. Oh, come on. You're a jerk. (laughs) No pressure, but we're sort of counting on you. You're a jerk. No way. Like that, that's, that's you, me and the guy down the road, all of us. (laughs) You are bringing the fishing industry in with like protect our winters and they do such a good job on climate action. And I do mean it a little tongue in cheek, but I also feel like your voice is so important and I personally appreciate all of the connections that you're making between backcountry hunters and anglers and AFTA and POW, even on your local level, local level with, you know, guide alliances and things like that. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I definitely am inspired by your leadership. I honestly, it very literally would not be on the AFTA board had it not been for you and not just you like strong arming me or anything like that, but just seeing you lead the way you do and being the you know, you, for me, you're the person who like makes it real. Like this is totally doable. We can do this. I'm on her team. Put me in coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I appreciate you. Garrison, we... sorry to leave you out. Of no, that's fine. I just think moment. we maybe need like a high Larry AFTA t-shirt or jersey or something for oh, her. Oh, we maybe. could make you one. Yeah. That could be good. <laughs> well, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i don't know if it'd do very well as a fundraiser <laughs> no that might just be a personal right, right. <laughs> well we are here to chat and for me to tell you how much i appreciate you but also we're hoping you might have a fishing story for us oh my gosh yeah so i think um <clears throat> whenever we have sat around, you know, like just us hanging out, which I'm so lucky to have been able to have a fair amount of hangout time with you both over the years. It's kind of ships passing, right? Like everybody's busy and we're doing something, but you two are so good at uh, just ah, calm, like let's sit and chill and have a beer and hang out and talk. And, and that's the best storytelling time. Unfortunately, 
I feel like everybody has heard all of my stories because there's so many campfires and so many tailgates and so much hangout time, you know, all around the country, wherever we are. And I'm told a fair amount of stories. So my apologies ahead of time to all the people who have to suffer through the stories they've already heard. It's going to be version 3.0. We're into it. Well, yeah, I also had, so Steve Duda, Patagonia told me one time, he's like, never forget that it's storytelling. So if you exaggerate something a little bit here or there, or like embellish a little bit here or there, like that's storytelling. Sometimes he's like, you know, we care so much about facts, which is true. Facts are super important when you're, you know, when you're needing to like write an important press release or like write a, you know, a a story in an article in a magazine or something. But sometimes standing around a campfire at a tailgate or something like that, a little bit of embellishment is fun. So um, I I have heard also for some of my stories, uh, other people tell them like other people tell. And I was like, dude, that happened to me crazy. And then I'm like, oh, wait, that was my story. That's like made it around the world somewhere, you know, which is a fishing telephone. Yeah, no, that's totally. when you know it's a good story, though. Like if it's being retold and gets back to you, that's a good sign. Yeah, except that it by that time, it's like a way better story. I'm like, it's definitely the same story, but <laughs> it's had enough embellishment that it's made made a better story. And then sometimes, too, I've had like my sister or brother has heard a story I've told on a podcast and they're like, eh, it was like pretty accurate. Like <laughs> maybe it didn't actually happen that way, which is funny because my favorite way to tell stories is obviously about other people instead of yourself, because then you can throw a ton of other shit in there about them, which makes it really fun. So usually my sister is, is my, my biggest target for that. Cause she's also my favorite person to fish with. Like if anybody were to ever ask who would you want to spend a day with fishing in your entire life, it's always her. Like I would always choose to fish with her one because she does tons of amazing stuff in the world, but she doesn't get to fish enough. And two, she is an expert angler. Like she's a super, super good angler. And so it's fun to watch her fish and watch her row and be on the water with her. And she's just really good, but super stoked because she doesn't get to do it enough. She's got three kids who are in all the sports and like expert, you know, um, athletes and all the things, especially skiing. And she's awesome. She's the person I most want to fish with. So most of my stories or about her. I could start with one about her, which (laughs) I think we got to get one of those in now. Oh, she's, she's dying. Cause she's like, of course, let's just make this a, a bash under the bus. I love it. Yeah. Um, but she's, but because I, I love to fish with her, this is where, when I pay most attention. So all of my senses are heightened. So a lot of times when we get to fish, it's in the, off season, shoulder season, like really down times because we're both so busy in, in the summer. And so in the fall, one year we walk down and it's just kind of like a, a scale off of this kind of cliff to the first rapid bone crusher rapid. It's actually the second rapid in our whitewater stretch on the middle fork of the flathead, but, um, kind of, you can drop down in between these two rapids and walk up and down and fish in between them. And in the fall, it's, there's still some fish hanging around. Usually our fish are moving from the middle fork, the cutthroat move into the tributaries and the North fork, they move into the big lake, flathead lake. So it can be hard to kind of find the fish in the fall. 
And, uh, you know, there's moving around a ton. So if you're not floating, which we weren't floating this particular day, we're just walking. There's a fair amount of like, hey, bear, hey, bear, hey, bear, you know, because you're walking on the riverbank. So it's also in the whitewater stretch and there's rapids. And so it's really loud. And so sometimes the hay bear isn't like loud enough. And so we made a pact where it was like, if you see a bear, we're going to split up a little, but you can still see each other on the, between the rapids. And if you see a bear, just hightail it up the scree field, up the cliff and get up to the road. There's like an actual highway to the highway way above the river and just climb up there. Don't even fuck around. Just get up there. You know, if you see a bear, just and and we decided try to whistle if you can try to scare the bear whatever but if it's a situation you just got to get out of there whistle to tell the other person wave your arms in the air at the other person at each other and then get back to the truck so that was what we decided <clears throat> so we're fishing and like it's good we both catch a couple fish we're having fun we can see each other we're kind of like you know hooting and waving and everything but just because we're catching fish no bears in sight and then suddenly I like see her waving like crazy and I wasn't sure I heard a whistle or not. I kind of heard a whistle, but it was more like her voice going <laughs> like it was like a terrible whistle. Yeah, when and you so, absolutely can't get it right. You're yeah, trying so hard. Whistle for whatever reason. She was trying to whistle, but it was like a shitty whistle. So I was like, okay, I think that's the whistle. And then I just saw her like waving like crazy. And I'm like, that's it. That's the sign. I'm outie. So I like scramble up the bank. Like, you know, that was the plan. And so I get all the way up the top of the hill and I get to the, I'm like panting and sweating and I get up to the truck and I'm like expecting she's right on my tail because she's an athlete and <laughs> she would definitely be faster than I. So I get up there and waiting and she didn't show up and I'm waiting longer. And she has a big fish on, did it? Not showing up. And I, that's what went through my head. I was like, Oh, she's messing with me. She got me out of there so that she could catch a big fish. And so I'm kind of like pissed. And, but then I'm also like, oh, God, did she get eaten by a bear? Like, right. is she down there? Now I have to go down and like retrieve her. Like, is she like, and so I'm like torn. Like, did she just mess with me? Or like, is there an actual bear? But she's definite. It's something because she's not showing up. And I'm like, oh, God, it's a bear. She has been attacked by a bear. Or she had to run the other way or some shit happened. Like, I don't know. I have to, I have to go down there. So I start to go down the cliff again. And no sooner do I do that, then she pops up and she's right in the cliff and she's pissed. And she like comes at me and she's like, what the hell, man? And I was like, what the hell? What? And why are you talking like that? And then I look and she has a giant woolly bugger through her lip, like oh, all no. the way through. And she had put the hook all the way through her lip. And what she did was that it was, it was pretty windy. And she, you know, she was kind of dead drifting woolly buggers in this hole. And uh, she decided she wanted to change flies. So she went to bite it off and the wind kind of picked it up and she grabbed her tippet and just, you know, trying to catch the fly, but yanked it right through her lip all the way through. And so she got it in there still hanging on and she clipped off the tippet, of course. But so she was waving to tell me to come over and she couldn't whistle because she had this hook in her mouth and she's like, get over here. And I just hightail it out of there. Like I left her on the bank, had no idea that that had happened and I'm waiting. So then of course she had to scale up the cliff again, like to, you know, to get to me. 
And so then I like get out a Leatherman and I'm like shaking so hard from, from laughing so hysterically as I'm trying to clip this off and she's furious and I'm going, so there's no bear. And she's like, no, there's no effing bear. You moron. Like, there's no bear and I was like I thought that was the bear sign like I left because you did the thing you did kind of a whistle and like you waved your arms and like I'm out of here and she's like there's no bear and so I'm trying to clip this thing off and I'm laughing so hard I'm like making an actual hole in her lip you know as I'm pulling and pulling and pulling it so I finally got it out of there and it she had a legit little like hole in her lip from that thing and she and so now like whenever we you know, go fishing together again. She's like, never wave your arms, never do anything. Like she's like, anybody who gets, she's like, I'm going to deal with it myself. If I put a hook through my lip, I'm like, yeah, you should. You put a hook through your lip, you deal with it, your damn self. You deal with it. <laughs> yeah. We need to get you to do some air horns or some two-way radios. Oh yeah. God. I mean, <laughs> really we should also point radio. out to our listeners, like, this is grizzly country. We're not talking yeah, about black bears baby here. Black these bears. are like bears you don't want to fuck with bears up in Glacier. And there are quite a few of them around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is there's there's plenty. They're not like Alaska, you know, grizzlies where it's like they're with you all the time. Usually they're at a distance. And it's also the kind of thing where they have they have a fair amount of food and they're, they don't care about us so much. And and so it does make sense to get out of there. Like a lot of times people will be like, don't run from the bears. But here it's like, it is advisable to leave their area because you just don't want to bother them. Like get up in there. You know, you're not, it's not like in Alaska where you're sharing the river with them. Like if they want to be anywhere near there, we just leave and they don't follow. So it's not like they're into chasing you down at all. So if you leave, that's kind of just for any of the, you know, who are over the fence people saying like, don't do that with bears here. It's like, you definitely want to just get out of the way. So that's why yeah. we do that. That makes sense. That is a good clarification because you know, everybody is probably like, well, I'm the bear expert, but really I'm right. going to trust Hillary on how Depends to deal with bears in her area. Well, yeah. that's also like for camping, people can't believe how our policy, like on our overnights is the guides sleep with the food. Fishing stories is brought to you by Lock and Co. Whiskey. Distilled right here in Colorado and finished with hand-cut, charred Colorado Aspen wood discs, this whiskey is as unique as any trout stream. It has now won gold three times in the San Francisco World Spirits competition. You'll want to grab a bottle for your bar at home or to take on your next adventure. Check it out at your local liquor store or at lockandcodedistilling.com. Lock is spelled with an E. Well, that's also like for camping, people can't believe how our policy like on our overnights is the guides sleep with the food so when we do overnight so I do a fair amount of overnights that's kind of my gig and my favorite thing here as a fly fishing guide is we do multi-day trips here on the flathead so um when you get to camp like we've got bear locking coolers we've got everything in yetis and um we set up a big tarp and we set up the clients tents and the clients sleep in a tent but the guides don't sleep in a tent the guides sleep in the kitchen under the tarp because if a bear comes around camp and they see you, they just leave. Like they just don't want to come into camp or at least they won't come into camp until everybody's cleared out of camp um, entirely. But if you're in a tent, if everybody's in a tent and they don't see people, they're more likely to kind of walk around camp. So, um, yeah. you know, and that's, that sounds maybe silly that we sleep with the food, but 
it is tried and true. Like <laughs> that's how we've been doing it, you know, since I started in 1993 and we sleep with the coolers. We sleep with the Yetis. Like I literally go to bed with my Yeti, our big bear cooler. And um, that way the bears see you laying under the tarp and they don't come in. But if they couldn't see us, then um, Forest Service says they'd be more likely to walk around in there. So they definitely don't give us any trouble. But it is tricky because like I'll sleep with my life jacket on a lot of times because that's where I have my knife and and it's warm and comfortable. And so I sleep with my hand on my knife and then I've got bear spray next to me too. And you can hear the bears kind of, mostly this is black bears, not grizzlies, but you can hear them kind of walking around and in the woods, you know, not my favorite. I That's, mean, I totally trust you, you, but I'm also not like super amped about sleeping with the food. Yeah. 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 Let Hillary it. do that. Uh, you let Hillary do that. Yeah. I've only <laughs> been to Glacier one time and I, it was so long ago. You would know where I was, but I can't even remember. I backpacked into some lakes like in the park, but mm -hmm. it was kind of terrifying because the foliage was so high. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was so lush mm -hmm. that you're walking through so many of these areas and like the bushes were like at eye level or higher. So even though you're making a ton of noise, it's like, man, there could be a bear with cubs, like a sow with cubs, like right over there. And I totally. would never see it, which like that's the main danger that, you know, the park services like really is coming up on them and surprising them because that's yeah. that's the main thing is they don't want any part of us. But just coming up on them is is kind of <laughs> the main thing because of what you said. It's so thick in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's true. I my also own, think... My only main animal encounters have been with moose. I haven't moose. had too many bear encounters, but I don't want to... They're so scary. Yeah, yeah. they'll stump you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was always like really good with moose, like fished around them a ton and been pretty close to them and it's always been fine. And then a few years ago, I had a cow just like, Ooh. from a really long way away, see me and her initial instinct was like, whatever that is, I'm going to stomp it to death. Oh my God. And just came full speed. And I've never had that happen before. And it really changed the way I look at moose now. But don't you think- charged you. Oh yeah. She yeah. tried to take him down. But for the record, he was with a friend and it was every man for himself. That friend <laughs> fell down. Garrison just kept going. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> I slowed down and looked back and told him to get his ass up and get fucking yeah. running. You only okay. need to be faster than the slowest guy. Exactly. You, you think I don't hear about how I left him there in the field? Oh, for like sure. Regularly, you'd be wrong. Had there been a bear, you would have been okay, and Whitney would not have. Yeah. No, that's the that's the George Costanza throwing the old people out of the way in the fire. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. Oh goodness. Well, that's good stuff. Um, I'm curious, obviously you can't target bull trout yeah. where you're guiding, but they are in the system. How often do you have one come up and just like T-bone a whitefish that you're fighting or something like that? A lot. I mean, it's gin clear water and it's so beautiful. And so it is definitely a highlight for people to see a bull trout, you know, and they, they do see them. So it's a little bit like a wildlife safari, you know, without the shooting and, and catching because you get to see bull trout at work like you know you can see them feeding it has nothing to do with your your fly or your fish or whatever you can still see them in the system um they they are uh they are 
I, I guess you could say healthy, but definitely in danger because, you know, we've got warming waters and a lot of pressure. And, and um, so it's like kind of a situation where they're good, not good. Um, you know, we like to see them and we're psyched on them, but just because we see them doesn't mean that they're healthy enough to be fished to. So yeah, um, they're, yeah, they're, they're still listed. And, um, and so we keep a distance, but you definitely see them in the system. And for sure they, they'll chase after a cutty or a whitefish. And, you know, for, for me personally, I have my people yank that their fish out of there and don't do that whole, like, put your right. tip down, chase, let it chase around. No. Da, da, da. I don't, I don't, that's, I think that's cheap and lame. Yeah. And, you know, you still get to see them, a bull trout's coming after it. I'm just like, strip it in, get it in. I'll scoop it quick. And um, either that, or sometimes if it's like not going to be safe to, release that fish there because that bull trout's just going to hang out. I've seen a bull trout just stop under us after I've scooped a fish and just like, wait, you know, cause they're like, where to go and just like, wait for it. And eventually you're going to have to, you Smash know, it. yeah. <laughs> so every once in a while, if you can kind of see that's happening, sometimes I'll have people let the fish run, but they're running away kind of to safety, the other direction from the bull trout. And then I can put my boat over the bull. Like I can, you know, chase our fish spook the bull and then catch our fish and release it safe safely so it's not just like you know get it in only get it in quick and and put it in front of the bull trout again but basically like give it some string let it go and then and then chase after it and then scoop it in a safer place so that makes sense it's like trying to keep your permit from getting sharked oh yeah totally a lot of times like can be that can be a better strategy like with a bonefish or permit or whatever give it string, let it go and get out of the way. And then the shark's got other food nearby and the shark can be all sharky, you know, close to your boat. And then you just move the boat back to where your fish is and then release it safely. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, such a neat fish to see. Obviously we don't have any in Colorado, right? So for us, anytime we get to even just see one in the water and yeah. like you said, such a indicator species too, because of their need for really cold, clean mm -hmm. water. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's just a cool fish to see in a system. Yeah, it is. It's a cool fish to see in a system. It's also nice just to be able to see that kind of strength and power and know it was like there before you and this this yeah. intact ecosystem is so remarkable. So this is one of the last remaining relatively intact ecosystems in the world. So like we have, you know, species that were here when time was recorded um, and we don't have any invasive introduced fish and um, or or plants and, and other animals like that's the relatively intact and relatively is because we got some knapweed that's come in on the train and like, you know, yeah. um, back in the day, there was some planting and some high mountain lakes and stuff, which has stayed pretty isolated into those lakes. But anyway, it's a it's still a relatively intact ecosystem. So it's a now what we've kind of found from our clients is they are sophisticated enough to understand that. So that's the bucket list for them is this is the place where you can come and catch wild and native species in an intact ecosystem. And that's pretty remarkable. Like it's neat because for me, that wasn't the case, you know, when I first started, all people cared about was kind of like catching a fish or like learning to fly fish or like let's, I mean, this is the, you know, when the movie came out, it's everybody just wanted to do that. And so they wouldn't have known that, just catching native and wild West Slope cutthroat trout in an intact ecosystem is a thing. And now because they've seen so many fisheries change and have so many different impacts that now this is the thing they want to do. They specifically yeah. want to come and check off, not just the fish, 
but the intact ecosystem bit. And that's pretty cool to me. Yeah, yeah that's great. And I mean, that ecosystem was, I mean, obviously it's a unique watershed and a unique system, but that sort of formulation of species was very widespread across a huge area that now has been so altered to your point. There's not a lot of places you can see it still, still going. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest points about, um, you know, protecting large connected pieces of land. Like, you know, you talk about bull trout and you just mentioned Garrison that they just need remarkably cold water. They need the cold clean, but then that third C is the connected. So they yeah. need that connectivity. So being able to like, here we are, Glacier National Park is um, part of the Glacier Waterton International Peace Park. And so we have this connectivity with Waterton and Canada, and it kind of continues down through this crown of the continent. And so being able to have migration areas and places where their natural spawning zones are intact is, is a big deal. So the connectivity, I think, is something we don't talk a lot about because there is so much development and there's more and more people and more people are looking to the West for opportunity. And I think that in so many ways is a good thing. But as long as we have people who are looking out for those connected open spaces and protected pieces of, of ecosystem, I think is um, is super keen on on protecting it in the long run, what we're doing. Yeah, so that's I cool. agree. I, I also think that there's a little bit of a misconception with non-anadromous salmonids that they're just resident. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, oh, this fish lives in this hole. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, maybe. It also needs like, the tributaries to yeah, spawn. Like, could yeah, be, but like most life histories of salmonids, even if you catch them in a particular place, involve them moving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Point, yeah. a tributary or in and out of a larger system yeah. or a or lake in and out or of a lake, yeah. something with that connectivity there's not that many situations unless you're in a very small no you're like, right this fish lives in this hole you know <laughs> i mean that's 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 such a good point and that's what i mean about the people uh who are coming out here being so much more sophisticated now they're saying are these fluvial or ad fluvial you know and we actually have both, but the, it, it changes in um, the two different uh, forks that I fish. So, you know, the middle fork fish that we have anecdotally uh, larger fish and kind of fewer numbers, but they are wintering in their in the tribs. They're not going to the big lake for the most part. And the north fork cutties are going to the big lake, Flathead Lake. And um, so they're kind of going all the way south out of the north fork. And um, and so they're not even, they're actually cousins of each other. They're both native West Slope cutthroat trout, but they're cousins. They're not even the exact same species. So um, it's a, it's kind of, it's kind of a cool thing once you have the opportunity to live in a big outdoor classroom like we do here, which is Glacier National Park, you have exposure to all of these experts. So we've got fisheries biologists here from all the different agencies. We've got five agencies all around us who are studying this stuff and then that information is all readily accessible to us. We've got some of the top fisheries biologists in the world here and, and climate scientists here and like, um, you know, ecologists and, and also recreational economists and people who can really tell you what's going on with how we can run our businesses and our livelihoods here and, and do it in harmony. It's a really, it's a cool place to be just because we've got this massive outdoor classroom. But that, to your point, that they need all of this connectivity and they move in different ways. That's something that I'm finding more and more people understanding. They're like, where did the, where are these fish from and where do they go? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
is cool. And the same genetics in the same system can have different adoptions of different life histories. You know, like one population might stay resident and another population runs to the lake and that's a different size class. Or like we see even on our little front range creeks here in Colorado, non-native fish species at this point. But like there will be a different size class sometimes of fish that you can tell lived lower in the system and then ran up despite all the barriers involved. Whereas most of the fish can't do that, but you can tell like this is a little bit of a different life history that somehow fought the lack of connectivity and still made, <laughs> right. it, still made it. Yes, I love yeah. that. That's like the I think that the new vacation or um, kind of the the next evolution of what we're doing in fly fishing is adding some citizen scientist stuff in there. You know, yeah. a lot of agencies are losing funding, and people at the same time want to help more and be involved more, and so. There's lots of opportunities for people to do that. We do some water testing here for the Wild and Scenic River Corridor with the venture scientists and there's science on the fly. And um, there's lots of opportunities, you know, in, in your fisheries too and wherever people are to kind of start to get down and dirty with that stuff, which is super yeah. fun. Yeah, there I was a that. cool program. Unfortunately, I think the program like lost its funding, but out of the University of Colorado in Boulder, which is, you know, right down the street from us. They were doing like high mountain lake pH testing and microinvertebrate testing. And like pollutants. And pollutants mm-hmm. just to like microplastics, all of these things. And it was, of course, fly anglers who were hiking up there to go fishing would also take the test tube. <laughs> oh, right. Love that. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, so that's key because that's the other thing that I found, especially with guiding. And I love guiding so much, you guys. And, and, always have. And I've tried to quit lots of times and keep coming back. And one of the best things that's happening right now with guides and with guiding is that back in the day, you didn't sign up to bring a test tube up into a high mountain lake or something like that, or to talk to people about the connectivity of of our watersheds. But now that is part of your stead. Like that's a huge, it's the thing. It's the whole thing. It's like, you know, now young guides know like, Um, That's not something that they learn after they learn to row or after they learn to teach somebody how to cast. Like you have to do that before you pass go. Like you first have to commit to to protecting the resource or you don't get to be a part of it. And then also people are asking these questions. It's not that it's just the right thing to do to talk about sustainability or what's happening with your watershed. But to be a good guide, you have to because that's one, how you can move your way through this career in a, in a sustainable way. But two, people are asking and you have to have an answer for that question. Same thing. And they're saying, what are they biting on Hill? You know, (laughs) I mean, it's, they're really asking these high level sophisticated questions and maybe it doesn't sound like a high level sophisticated question, but when they're saying like, so what's the deal with the glaciers Hill? I I can't say, Oh, it must be barometric pressure. (laughs) like like we used to back in the day when they'd say why aren't they biting hill you know like so you have to have these answers so I think um now I'm finding I'm really encouraged by the young guides who have been living with so many of these challenges their entire life and so we're like oh my gosh we got to teach the young kids it's like no these guys have been dealing with yeah they've been living and breathing Yes, their whole life. Like they, they, this has been their reality the entire time. And so now we're seeing some of the old guys, you know, like me are like, okay, how can we 
get more up to date on what the heck is going on out there. So there's programs like the Fly Fishing Outfitters Association of Montana has the Guiding for the Future program, um, which is it's gotten grants from from the After Fisheries Fund and stuff like yeah. stuff like that, that, as you know, Corinne. But it's basically like updating and teaching um, veteran guides uh, kind of what is the latest in in terms of some of the the health of our rivers and also some social challenges that are different on our boats that maybe we didn't think about before. Um, and then just kind of like making sure that we're current in society and in the environment <laughs> as, as guides, like yeah. the last thing you want is to be behind the times when you're out there because you're supposed to be the expert. You're supposed to be the one who knows, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think even as a non-expert angler, just going out to fish without a guide down here in Colorado and across the West, you don't have to deal with this as much as we do, but like water temperatures are a thing. Mm -hmm. You need to know how to navigate what the water temperature is and what's ethical there and what's not depending on what you're trying to do and how you want to fish. And that can also help you be a better angler. I think that's what a lot of people don't realize Mm -hmm. too, is like, having some grasp of like what fish are doing in a temperature range. Mm-hmm. If you fish somewhere quasi regularly can be really informative information as to how you might kind of mm-hmm. attack the fishing that day, even if the temperatures are fine. But, you know, like you said, we have to be a little bit more cognizant of some of these things and knowledgeable, even mm-hmm. just as a non-expert recreational angler. Yeah. I mean, it's becoming cool for people to talk about water temperature and to talk about, and to talk about like overfishing. And, you know, you and I have had conversations with the rest of our after board, like those of us who are just a little bit more skilled or a little bit more experienced, like maybe we should leave the easier run to the person Mm -hmm. who doesn't know as much. Like we can go a little further afield or like, I Mm -hmm. love warm water fishing. I'm happy to go spend a day bass fishing or bluegill fishing mm-hmm. instead of trout fishing, because maybe there's somebody who's just getting into it and they need to go trout fishing that day. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's becoming cool to kind of have these conversations. Whereas mm-hmm. before it was like, no, this is mine. I'm not right. going to talk to you about it. And you stay, get off my lawn, you know? Yeah. Well, also it kind of, I mean, it kind of shows that you're pretty good angler if you don't have to be in this spot. Like it always cracks me up when people are like, I have to fish right here. And I'm like, well, then you suck if you can't catch a fish over there. Like you're going to kick out somebody, you're going to kick out a novice angler, or you're going to kick out a person with disabilities. You're going to kick out somebody from an inner city who's just visiting here because it's your spot. Give me a break. Like if it, if you're, if you're worth having your own spot, then you should be able to catch fish anywhere. Like exactly. move, move on, nerd. Like go, go <laughs> down river. Like just, it just bugs me when people think like they they own any piece of the river because I like I like being owned by the river. You know what I mean? Like we're, I want to always be safe in it, and you know I want to make sure my people are always safe in it. But like part of that is being humble enough not to just conquer it. You know. That's yeah. right. Well, I learned early on fishing with Corinne because, you know, she was a skilled angler, but still kind of like getting going and we were out and I went to this run and like, I know this run and I know like this really juicy part of this seam, like this, <laughs> this, this spot's good. money, you know, like they're always stacked up. So I'm like, 
I, I, I'm going to get on this spot. Corinne, why don't you fish this, like, he this stuff up here? He literally said, Corinne, you fish here. <laughs> it was like, you know, totally like fast, <laughs> shallow, like, meh. Like, and he whatever. went to, quote, unquote, his spot. Of course, spot. on this particular Bye. day, the fish were all stuffed into this fast, shallow stuff, it's just terrible. eating like crazy. So Corinne ends up just hammering okay. fish up out of the ass water. I just kept making him net my fish just, for me. Like oh, I couldn't God. do anything out of my main suit. So I think that's the other thing is like sometimes people get really kind of fixated on like where they've had success mm -hmm. in the past or like this is like deeper water with the seam. So they must be here. Well, or like I fished really well this one time. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Depending on the time of year, like those <laughs> fish might all be up in really fast, shallow water feeding. Yeah. So don't overlook those spots. Like a lot of times when we're fishing down here, we end up catching fish around people in the water that they walked through to get to totally. the, the good hole. Yeah, you right. know? totally, totally. No, that's classic. Well, you, I mean, you, people who know how to read water and that, and then suddenly they, they're just going into these elbows and eddies that are so pronounced. But if you really look, you can see the tail, the tail out of that is where exactly. the fish are, are going to be at a certain time of year or something, either that, or you can see kind of those micro eddies or micro elbows in the river and different insides, outsides that aren't the most pronounced one. And so maybe, yeah, you'll see a boat there in the obvious spot and it doesn't bum me out at all. I'm like, all right, off we go. We're go I know where we're going. I know what we're doing. And we all know, like, if it's a watershed that gets any kind of pressure, the chances of you finding a really good fish in, like, a sneaky little spot mm -hmm. doesn't have to be super deep, but mm -hmm. it's a sneaky one, that's where you're going to find the good fish. For sure. Not in the big obvious spot, because somebody was fishing there yesterday and that's will right. be today. Well, and not just yesterday and today, but, like, anymore. It's like, there's boats you can tell anchored up above that spot waiting to drop in. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. when I'm like leapfrog. I'm out, you know, yeah. I'm not going anywhere yeah. near there. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, that's so fun. We won't take up any more of your time. This has been really fun to chat with you. But where can people find you on Instagram or if they find themselves in Glacier, where can they uh, come book a trip with you? Maybe. So my fly shop is in Columbia Falls, Montana. So that's the last town outside of West Glacier. And then I also, in the fly shop's called Larry's Fly and Supply. And uh, it's Larry's Fly on Instagram um, or Larry'sFlyandSupply.com. And then I actually guide um, up in West Glacier for Glacier Anglers. So I've guided for Glacier Anglers since I was a kid. And so I still guide there. So I also guide out of my shop, but um, in the in like the summer months, it's different water kind of up there that those are the forks I'm, I'm guiding for up, up for glacier anglers. So, <clears throat> and all three of my kids are working up there too. So we're kind of all up there. And then Evan's holding down the fort in Columbia Falls at the fly shop. So I'm up at glacier anglers, which is glacieranglers.net or glacier raft company, glacier raft co. And um, that's pretty easy to find as well in Instagram. And then my personal one is outside Hillary with one L. Just one, one L. L. Hi, Larry. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And um, we hope to see you in person here. I'm soon. sad this is over. I feel like uh -huh. we were just getting going. I have a lot of questions still for Hillary. We're going to have to continue this over. She'll, be on, she'll be on season five, too. Maybe. Okay. That's <laughs> another year to, to find I some have, I have other stories. Don't let me forget one day to tell you the watermelon story. Okay. okay good. You'll, like, you'll like that one. Yeah. 
and the plastic bass story. I'll have to tell you that someday. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, well, right. this is a teaser. The, this yeah. is the heart rock, the heart rock story. I'll have to tell you okay. that one. Some okay, people may be listening. They're like, okay, like, I remember that. There's lots. There's lots that we'll have to. Sign. Yeah. We've got a whole season of Hillary. Hey, coming you up. might have a new one after this coming season. Who knows? <laughs> no, I try not to let anything fun happen. There's no room for any. No, no more stories. I'm full. I believe that for a second. <laughs> well, thank you, Hill. Thanks, you guys. I miss you. I can't wait to see you soon. I know. Very soon, I hope. Hopefully okay. soon. All right. Bye. Bye.